Fantastic. Uh, what you just saw was a clip of a new series that we're going to be starting next Sunday uh, called Your Big Moment. And we're, ta- we're go- actually going through the study of Esther, the book of Esther. And for some of you, you may not even know that there was a book in the Bible called Esther. And uh, we're going to dig into it for the next five weeks. Really excited about that. And uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of homework at the end of our talk today. And it basically is I'm going to ask you guys to start reading through the book of Esther so you can go and start processing that. So we're going to have a great time uh, with that starting next Sunday. Today, we're finishing on week five of our Accomplished series. And I hope this has been a good series for you guys. I've gotten a lot of feedback. Feedback, and uh, I'm just grateful for where we've kind of landed with this series because at the beginning of a new year, all of us are asking some questions, and we talk about some things. We reevaluate life. We reevaluate our priorities. We make uh, these New Year's resolutions, and many times, one of the things we've been talking about through this entire series is we've been looking at our accomplishments, and today, um, we're going to land a little bit differently, but really the big idea of this series has been this. What would the future you tell you to do? And that's what we talked about on week one of this series. And we encourage you guys to write a note to the future you, and we're going to actually mail that in about six months, and really excited about that. But the premise of the series is whatever the future you would tell you to do, then go ahead and do that now. Because all of us, uh, we make some resolutions. You know, don't eat the cheesecake, because I want to look good in a Speedo in six months, right? Um, um, uh, or, you know what, I need to start spending some more time with my family, so I need to cut back on my hours, or I need to stop uh, some addictions. I, 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 there's some things in my life that's really kind of sapping the life out of me, so I need to get some help in that. I, I want to get better in my marriage. And we all have some things that if our future, our future person could come back and say, okay, Chris, I am from the future. Anybody seen Back to the Future, right? I am from the future, and you need to do this. That if we could speak to ourselves, we would do some things differently. We would reprioritize some things. So where we're landing today is this way. Because all of us, we've been talking about our accomplishments, but we're going to ask this question is, and here it is. It's going to be on your screens. Why, when I accomplish things, do I feel so empty? Why do I feel so empty? Because here's the thing, and this is true whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're a churchgoer or not, all of us, for some of us, um, all of us, we struggle with this thing and we want to accomplish some things. And for some of you, 2014 has been a really, really good year. And you look back on last year and you got the promotion, you ranked up, you got the big race, and you, you scored huge when it comes to your job. And yet, it's just kind of ringing a little bit hollow. And it's, it's just not quite enough. It's not very satisfying. Others of you, uh, 2014 was the year where you found love. And you found Mr. Right. You've been searching for so many, so many years, right? And you kept on kissing toads. And finally, you got a prince. And you've been thinking, you've been processing, you know what, when I find Mr. Right, then my life would be right. Or when I find Mrs. Right, that she's going to love me like no else, no other person can love me. And then my life is just going to be good. It's going to be right. It is. But you found Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. And you got married or maybe you're courting or maybe, you're, you're, you know, you've actually, you know, you I mean, you're going to get married, but something is ringing a little bit hollow. And others of you, you've been married for a while, but you have been waiting to start a family. And in 2014, you did just that. And you've been processing through this. You've been waiting for that child. And knowing that when that child shows up, your life would be complete. Your family would be complete. Your marriage would be complete. You would feel complete. <laughs> but... The child has been born, and you don't feel complete. In fact, there's a little bit more chaos and a whole lot less sleep, but it's still not enough. And some of you, you've been working very hard to get your business off the ground, and you've been doing all the marketing, and you've been doing all the hard work, and all. I mean, you've been digging in. And 2014 was the year when your business, I mean, it roared off the page. 
and you finally started seeing a prophet. And it, you thought, man, this is it, and I've arrived. But you've arrived, but you don't really feel like you've arrived. It's not enough. And for others of you, financially, last year was great. You've got more money in your bank account than you ever had. You are more secure financially, and your future is more secure than it ever has been. And yet, though your bank account is so full, why do you feel so empty inside? You know, all of us, if you've ever felt that way, if you've ever asked that question, if you've ever woken up in, at 2 o'clock in the morning with your eyes wide open, and, and you have this nagging feeling, this gnawing feeling inside that, you know what, I just don't feel like this satisfies. I don't feel like it's enough. If you have ever felt that way, welcome to the human race. Because all of us have felt that way. We all have felt that way. And, and the thing I hope as we dig through, especially today, and what most of us dis have discovered is when you get to the other side of your accomplishments, there still is that emptiness. There's that nagging feeling that you haven't quite arrived, that it's not enough, and that there's something else that you need to do. There's something else that you need to accomplish. And the, 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 that's the question we want to deal with. Why is that? Why is it that we all ask that question, how come I feel so empty? In fact, many of us, if you're 20 years old, you're probably not asking that question, right? Because you're just, you're right at the very beginning of it. And everything is so exciting, even in your 30s. You, you, you might have found true love, and you've experienced some successes, but you're kind of asking those questions in your 30s. If you're 40s, you're probably asking that question hard, and this is what you're saying. You know what? I'm sure I'll get it when I'm 50s, and in my 50s. And then you get to your 50s, and you're like, maybe I had it in my 30s, right? And you look back, and you get in the 50s and the 60s, and you start to experience what the Canadian psychoanalyst Elliot Jacques first called midlife crisis. Midlife crisis. Let me define what a midlife crisis is, because it's where you ask the question, is this all there is? It, you know, I, I thought when I accomplished some things, it would feel differently. I thought, but I'm just as empty. I, I'm just as discontent. A midlife crisis is when you feel bored and you're restless and you're dissatisfied with your accomplishments. And some of you are like, dude, I'm 28 and I feel that way. Okay, again, welcome to the human race. The reality is, all of us have felt that way. And if you haven't, buckle up, because you will. It just feels hollow. It feels like something is missing. And you're not exactly sure what it is. It reminds me of a quote that I read this past week from this guy up here. See if anybody could tell me who this is. Anyone? It's not Fabio, it's Andre Agassi. Exactly right, all right? Now, let me just kind of explain, for some of you who are not into tennis... Uh, who this guy is. Uh, he um, has been labeled that he could return a serve better than anyone else who has ever played the game of tennis. Uh, Agassi, he's an Olympic gold medalist. He's won four Grand Slam tournaments, the French Open, the Australian Open, and Wimbledon. He's kind of a big deal, right? And, um, uh, and, and go ahead and keep on going through some of those pictures because that's when he had hair, and now he doesn't. Right? Some of you, you know exactly what that feels like, right? But I want you to listen to what he has to say about all of his accomplishments that he wrote in a book entitled Open. This is what he says. This is his quote. They say my victory at Wimbledon forces me to reconsider who I really am. But I don't feel that Wimbledon has changed me at all. In fact, I've been let in on a dirty little secret. Winning changes nothing. Now that I've won a slam, I know something that very few people on earth are permitted to know. You would think that it feels good to be the best of what I can be, but that's a lie. This isn't at all what I feel. It's what I want to feel. It's what I'm expected to feel, what I tell myself I should feel, but in fact, I feel nothing. I spend many hours roaming, wondering what is wrong with me. I did it. I'm the number one tennis player on earth, and yet I 
feel, here's the key word, empty. If being number one feels empty, unsatisfying, then what's the point? That's a great question. Because accomplishments, they just don't deliver. They really don't. Some of you have experienced that. You wanted it so badly. And you practice and you practice, and then you got it. And when you got it, it wasn't what you thought it was going to be, and it's a disappointment. And you ask the question, how come I'm not happy? How come I'm not satisfied? How come I'm just not able to just relax and say, I'm there. But see, our accomplishments always leave us wanting more, and we're not happy. And that question really should haunt us. How how come I don't feel fulfilled inside of my accomplishments? Sometimes it's not the question of something that's missing. Sometimes it's maybe the question of someone who's missing. And And I see some of you, you nod your heads, and you're already ahead of me because you know that it's not about the stuff you accumulate. You know it's not about your resume. No one ever reads your resume at your funeral, right? They just don't. It's not about the things that so many people, it matters in this world. It's not about our stuff, but it's about relationships. And again, you know that, but let's even drill down on that. Let's drill down on that because some of you, you've been waiting for the right person to come along and they came along and you married the right person, but yet there's this discontent. And you thought everything would just be complete and you would be fulfilled and that that person would fill that empty spot inside of you. But here's the thing, they didn't. Or for, for some of you, you know, you, you've been a couple and you think as soon as I have that child, then, then we will be a true family and we will be complete. Or maybe you have a child and you're like, uh, uh, when we had number two or number three, or number four, if you're the Duggars, number 19, right? Uh, and, and then some of you are thinking, you know what, I got teenagers, and as soon as I get them out of the house, and, and I can get back to that, you know, what it's just me and her or me and him, then things, when my, my nest is empty, then I won't be empty. And some of you, you know that stuff and accomplishments, they don't fulfill, they don't satisfy. But here's the thing, and this is what I want to push down on that. So many of you, you have a lot of someones in your life, but there's still this level of dissatisfaction. Some of you, you surrounded yourself with a lot of good someones. And it's not that you married Mr. Wrong. It, it, you married Mr. Right. And, and here's the thing. You don't need to go get rid of Mr. Right to go find Mr. Right again. You don't. Some of you have even tried that, right? You're like, okay, I thought I married Mrs. Right. But she, it doesn't give me that same feeling that I felt, I used to feel. So I'm going to go get Mrs. Wright 2.0. And then you go get Mrs. Wright 2.0 and you realize <laughs> that Mrs. Wright 2.0 isn't better than Mrs. Wright 1.0. Right? And now it's just made your life more complicated. And it's not about finding Mrs. Wright, but it's, 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 it's finding What's not right in your life? Because it's not about trading people in. And it's not that your family is bad. And it's not that your children are bad. It has nothing to do. It's not externals. There's something missing inside of you. And here's the thing. I believe that is a someone. And, and I know what you're... I'm getting ready to say this and you're going to say, okay, I got it. You're a pastor. You, I knew what you're going to say. But just maybe... What you're missing is not a what, but a who, and it's God. Again, some of you are like, whatever. I knew you were going to say that, right? I'm in church. You're going to talk about, you're going to play the God card. In fact, some of you, you would even say this. You know what? I I am not a Christian. Church is not my thing, and you don't even know if there really is a God. And again, I get that. And we're going to talk a lot about your predicament where you're at. Some of you, though, you're a Christian, and you, like, been a Christian for a while, And it's you and God. You know, you and God are like this, and, you know, kind of maybe once somebody's over here, right? And and you're like, how can I get any more of God than I already have? Because you're still feeling empty, and you're still feeling dissatisfied, even though you're a Christian. You've been to church. 
you've served, you've done all of this stuff, and yet it's still ringing hollow. And if that's you, again, we're going to talk about your predicament. But here's the thing. What if that missing void in your life wasn't a goal, wasn't an accomplishment? What if that gnawing question really is that you don't, you really need more of God in your life. Here's our big idea. And as I present it to you, it really is a paraphrase of, of what a guy 2,000 years ago said. This is our big idea today, that knowing Jesus is the one thing, is the one thing that brings meaning to everything. Can we say that out loud? Knowing Jesus is the one thing that brings meaning to everything. Now, the person that I am paraphrasing from that lived 2,000 years ago, and you and I know him as the Apostle Paul. And Paul wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament. And if you look at the New Testament, the part of the Bible that's about Jesus, Paul, if you had to pick anybody to write that, Paul would have been the most unlikely person to have written that section of Scripture. And let me explain the reason why. Because Paul wasn't born into a Christian family. He wasn't. In fact, he was born about 10 or 15 years after Jesus was born. So Jesus hadn't been doing any miracles yet or teaching yet. So um, there wasn't any Christianity yet. But the type of family that Paul was born into was a Jewish family. A Jewish family. And Paul grew up Jewish, and, and not only just Jewish, but he was born into a very distinguished Jewish family that we're going to learn in just a few minutes. And here's the thing about Paul. Paul was incredibly successful at everything that he did. If you wanted to look at an accomplished life, bam, look at Paul. In fact, we're going to be looking at his biography today in the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Philippians. You can go to your table of contents and figure out where that's at. Or if you have your smartphones, turn on your Bible with me. Can you do that? Turn on your Bible and go to the Bible app. You can download it for free. And then from there, you can click live and you can actually follow along with us on your Bible or on your tablet. Or if you have a large phone like a Samsung Galaxy, it's your phablet. So so anyway, a phone, tablet, put it together. Okay, cool. Anyway, so let's look at Paul and he's going to be bragging a little bit. He's going to be talking about who he was before Jesus and what he did and his accomplishments. And let's dig down deep into this. And some of it I'm going to have to explain because it's just a little freaky weird. I'm going to be honest with you, okay? All right, here it is. And we're getting ready to see that Paul filled up this void in his life with accomplishments, and it didn't satisfy. Again, here's where we're at. 3-4 says this, Philippians. I could have what? Confidence in what? My own effort. In fact, some of you, that's you. I mean, you've been taking confidence in your accomplishments. I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason to have confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. And then Paul is going to describe some things. Uh, he's going to describe, describe his educational degrees. He's going to describe his accomplishments. His teacher is, was a guy by the name of Gamaliel, and he was the premier Jewish teacher of that time. Everybody wanted to study with him. And Paul did. Paul chose a religious path and with his Jewish heritage to get his accomplishments. And Paul tried to do really good stuff. Paul wanted to excel at doing good better than anyone else. And then he starts listing off some of these things. In fact, Paul basically says, I was, I've been so good for so long. I've been so good. I was doing good when I was in diapers. Look at this next verse. It's a little freaky. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. Uh, excuse me, what does that have to do with anything? And why are we going to be talking about that in church? Well, let's talk about that just briefly, all right? Because in the Jewish law, or the Torah, it commands that all Jewish boys were to be circumcised. And this was supposed to happen on the eighth day. And it may sound a little strange to our ears, but circumcision was one of the things that Jews trusted in to receive God's acceptance. What Paul is saying is this. I was accomplished some things even when I was eight days old. Hashtag, there you go. All right? All right. And then he goes on. He says this in verse 5. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a 
real Hebrew if there ever was one. Paul's saying, guys, my pedigree is unquestionable. I was born into the right families. And then he goes on. I was a member of the what? Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to Jewish law. Now, let me explain what the word Pharisee means. The word Pharisee literally means separated ones. And there was some, there was, in Judaism, just like there's different parties of like Democrats and Republicans and independents, and they used to be the Whigs, I guess because they wore wigs, I don't know. Um, And there was the Bull Moose Party, thank you Teddy Roosevelt, you know, we had all those parties, right? Well, in Judaism, there was some things like that as well, right? They had, you had the Sadducees, and they were kind of, they were very liberal, and they really didn't take God and, and the Bible seriously, and then um, there were the Essenes, and they were always washing themselves and cleaning themselves, right? And then there was this group called the Pharisees, and it literally means separated ones. And they were very conservative. They had a high view of God, a high view of the Scripture. In fact, in order to be a Pharisee, you basically had to memorize the entire Hebrew Scriptures, right? I mean, you started when you were a kid just memorizing the first five books, Right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. By the way, my son is reading in Leviticus right now. <laughs> All right? So um, we'll talk about that in a minute. But you have to memorize those, right? You, I mean, not just read them. Memorize them. And then eventually as you kept on progressing in this Pharisaic sect, if you would, you started memorizing everything, right? And they were separated because they didn't want to be around dirt. They, they prided themselves on cleanliness. Um, they, they were crazy about obeying God's laws. I mean, it was, a, it was a, in a lot of ways, a really good thing compared to all of the other sex that was happening around there, right? So they wanted to separate themselves from the dirty and filthy stuff, whether that was dirt on the ground or dirty people and, and people that just maybe they're, they're a little bit better than, you know? I mean, they were very religious. And one of the five, one of the flashpoints of Judaism in Paul's day was this conflict between Jews and Christians, because Jews saw Christians as kind of this cult, this kind of sect, and, and you know what? Let's get rid of them. And Paul, man, he was passionate about that. In fact, he goes on and says this in verse 6. I was so zealous. That means passionate. I was so zealous, I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law, what? I mean, this dude, his stuff didn't stink. All right? I mean, he, he thought a lot of himself. And Paul went around trying to eradicate Christianity until one day, somebody, literally as he was on his horse, riding to a town to persecute Christians, somebody knocked him off his horse, literally. And this person who knocked him off his horse was Jesus. And he met Jesus, and uh, as soon as he met Jesus, um, he became blind, and it's like he couldn't see anything out there, and he, and he kind of wandered his way into Damascus, this town he was going to persecute Christians. And for the next three days, because he couldn't see outward, he only had to really look inward, and he didn't really like what he saw. And after those three days, somebody allowed him to see again, and he met Jesus, and Jesus changed his life. There was this pivot point in Paul's life, where up to this point, he was trusting in his accomplishments. And Jesus was the pivot point. And now, if you ask Paul, Paul, what's the meaning of life? What is it? And he says, you know what? I'll tell you. Knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus is the one thing that brings meaning to my life. Paul would tell you and me today, you will always have that hole. You will always have that empty spot. Uh, when, you're, when you're so accomplished, when you get the degrees, and you, you just sit back and think, oh. yet there's that gnawing feeling. It will always be there. Why? You'll never be happy. Why? Because knowing Jesus is the one thing that gives meaning to everything. And some of you are here this morning and you've never experienced that hole. You've never experienced that void. And you, the, the, you've never experienced the aftertaste of doing something really amazing and it kind of leaving and ringing hollow. And some of you, you're pretty successful and you're in a good season of your life and you're like, dude, I'm successful without God. You know, you keep on saying it's this God person, but I gotta be answered, I'm living my life pretty comfortably without God. And Paul would say, whoa, 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 maybe you're living a shell of a life. 
Because maybe you thought there was this much to life, but really there's this much to life. In fact, I think Paul would quote Jesus' words is that I came so that you can have life and have it more abundantly. And Paul, in verse 7, is not going to just tell us what he believes. He's going to tell us his experience. He really experienced this. And in verse 7, this is what he says. I once thought these things were what? What things? His accomplishments? His resume? His LinkedIn profile? I mean, he, his degrees... Uh, You know, he got into the school that he wanted to, and he did well. He was a top student. He was successful. He thought that was the fascisnet. He once thought it was valuable. But listen to how he continues this verse. But now, I consider them what? Worthless because of what Christ has done. Remember, this is a guy who used to hate Jesus. But now he's saying, I consider all of this stuff All of my accomplishments in my life worthless compared to knowing Jesus. That's our big idea. And for you and me, that that gnawing feeling that keeps us up at night, I've got a good life, i got a good husband, i got a good children, i got a good um, family, i got a good job, but something's missing. Paul would whisper into you and I's ear, what's missing? Let me get you to the bottom of it. It's knowing Jesus. Yes, everything else, verse is worthless compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. There's our big idea. Knowing Jesus is the one thing that brings meaning to everything. That's a big claim. And Paul's saying, listen, I gotta be honest with you. I've seen some things that's changed the way I view my life. And you're like, really? Really, Paul? Really, I mean, seriously, is Jesus really the answer to everything? And Paul will respond, I think so. I think so. Because knowing Jesus really is the answer to everything. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, verse 8, counting it all as what? I'm like, let's say that one more time. Counting it all as what? Garbage so that I could gain Christ. Now, let me tell you, say garbage one more time. I'm going to teach you a cuss word this morning. Y'all ready? Some of you going, hang on to it. The, I, the Greek word for garbage, all right, is scubula. Can you say that with me? Scubula. It's a fun word to say, all right? Not scuba diving, but scubula. And what scubula is, is that right there. In fact, there's really not a churchy way I can say this. Uh, some, some of your translations would translate it uh, garbage or human excrement or dung or crap, all right? And I know I'm venturing kind of like, it's not even that. It, it, he even picks a more crass word than that. Let me, this is going to be fun for both of us. Um, I remember in seminary, um, I went to Dallas Seminary, and one of the things, I took two years of Hebrew and two and a half years of Greek, and one of the things they would have to uh, ask you to do is to bring your Greek New Testament to class, and you would have to read from the Greek New Testament, and then you would have to translate it right there, all right? And, uh, oh, it was fun. Um, And uh, I remember, and I had this professor, his name was David Lowry. I like Mr. Lowry. Uh, Prof. Lowry was a good dude. He was kind of dry sense of humor, but uh, it was always fun. And I used to go into this class, and we were studying the book of Philippians. And uh, as we're in, you know, and, and what happens is the first person would read the first verse, and then they would translate the first verse. And the second person would read the second verse and translate the second verse, right? So I'm sitting by my friend, Ernie. Ernie McFarland. Ernie was a strange dude. Right? And he, I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. He was just a little bit, you know, and, and that's the reason why I liked him, right? You had this dress code, and Ernie never did the dress code, and I gotta be honest with you, nor did I, right? And, um, and I, I, would, I would show up and I'd hang out, and me and Ernie were kind of, we were just kind of pals. I liked Ernie. So as they're going down the line reading this, this person reads from the Greek New Testament, and they get to this word scubula, and, um, and then. <laughs> Um, they translate it, and as they're translating it, this person says, you know, I count all things as dung. And then right when he says that, my friend Ernie stands up. He says, 
professor, professor. He mistranslated that. It really is. And when he says the word, all these seminary stuck-up people went, <gasps> right? And, and they, look at, they look at Ernie with shock, right? And they look at Prof. Lowry, and they're, they're like, okay, what is Prof. Lowry going to do? I mean, is he going to yell at him? Is he going to throw him out of class? You know, is he going to get expelled, right? <laughs> and Professor Lowry says, well, Ernie, you're right. It does mean shh. And he says it. He says, but I don't know if I'd ever preach that from a pulpit. And we just went on, right? <laughs> so hilarious, you know? And, and I don't know what you call this in church. It, it's more than solid waste. It's crapamundo. It's, it's something, but it's a very vulgar and crass term. And the next time you hit your finger with a hammer, you need to say, Scubula, because scubula happens, right? But here's the point. What Paul is saying is everything that he accomplished up to this point in his life is of no value. It is scubula compared to Jesus, my Lord. Paul had an experience. And he writes about it in the letter to Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians. And in that letter, God took Paul and showed Paul heaven. And you know, some of the top um, New York Times stuff that we read about is, you know, it's like uh, heaven is for real, or, you know, heaven this, or people who claim to die and go to heaven. And I don't know about all of that, but what I do know is that God took Paul and showed him heaven. And when Paul experienced and saw what it was going to be like and what it is like, when he came back, it changed his perspective. When he got back, I mean, just seeing Jesus and seeing heaven, it changed his value system. And it, it, it's this idea that, and I don't know if it's because of that vision that made Paul say this, but I think Paul says this, compared to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, nothing else has meaning, nothing. And I think there will be a time in everyone's life, in this, in this auditorium, when we all stand before God one day, and you're going to stand before Jesus, and it's going to change your perspective on everything. And it's going to make you think of how you wanted to live your life, how you should have lived this life. And if you could just see now what you would see then, I think if, if the future you could come back and tell the present you, hey, hey one day, all of the money that you spend on the things that you like isn't going to matter. I think if the future you could come back and say, listen, if you could not do that, if you could value that relationship more, if you could treat her better, if you could spend more time here, I think the future you would give you an earful. And Paul says this, you know what? If the future you could come back and tell the present you about what heaven was going to be like and what the afterlife was going to be like, some of you, you know what? Some of you, you would whisper in your ear, you need to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because everybody's going to spend eternity somewhere. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, it's going to be in heaven. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it's going to be apart from God and it's going to be in hell. And I think if the future you could come back and talk to us, we would do things a lot differently. And Paul says, if you could just see what the future you, when you're looking and standing in front of Jesus, then what you value then. Now value that now. You know what? Jesus is the one thing that brings meaning to everything, and everything else is crap. That's what Paul says. And that is what we should say as well, because you're going to see your life from a very different perspective. It's going to answer that dull ache in your soul, that answer of that, why is there so much emptiness, emptiness after my accomplishments? Because accomplishments were never meant to fill that God-shaped void in your life. That as great as she looks, I mean, she's a 10. That when you marry her, you're, you are expecting your life to be complete. But she's never, ever going to be able to fulfill that. 
Because the only person who can fill the God-shaped hole in your life is God. That your children can't fulfill that in your life. That the only person, what's missing from your life isn't a something, and it's not even just a someone. It is the someone. It, he, is God. If you could see today what you would see one day, then you would live your life differently today. And this applies not just for Christians. If you're a non-Christian here, I'm so glad you're here. But think about this. If Christianity is true, wouldn't you want to live life like it's true? I mean, if God is actually real, I think if you leaned hard into God, that emptiness that you feel, it is Jesus that you're missing. Verse 9. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I've become righteous, how? Through faith in Christ. Christianity is about what you do. Christianity is about what Jesus has already done. For God's way of making us right with him depends on what? Faith. That's how you become a Christian. It's not what you do, it's what Jesus has done. It's about beginning that relationship with Jesus. Next verse. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Now, some of you are like, suffer? Well, that's that's what we talked about last week. Remember that we talked about passion? And the root word that passion comes from is sacrifice or suffer? That you'd have really loved something, you're willing to sacrifice for it. And that's exactly what he's talking about here. Verse 12. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. But here's what I'm going to tell you. But I, what? Press on. Press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus has first possessed me. God's saying to you and I today, I want you to accomplish some things. But but I'm not a Christian. Okay. I still want to accomplish some things in your life. God wants to do something in you and through you and with you. Verse 13. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not already achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Paul says, That's what you're missing. That it's who you're missing. That is why you feel so empty. And you know what? Here's the thing. I could stop right here and I'm like, you're missing Jesus. And you'd go, okay. And everything I've said at this point is true. But you would go home and you wouldn't know what to do with that. So we're going to give you some practical points today as we close so that you can be able to do something with this message. And for some of you are like, okay, listen, Chris, I'm a Christian. I get it. But if I had to be really honest with you, Chris, Jesus isn't number one in my life. In fact, he's he's even number two. My family's number one. my, my, My job's number two. My hobbies are number three. And if I had to be honest, you know, church, Jesus, spiritual stuff's number eight, 12, change women. And, you know, you're a pastor, so you should be number one. I mean, Jesus and the church should be number one for you, but I'm not a pastor, right? i got to live in the real world. And it could be the reason why, as a Christian, you're feeling so empty is because you've not prioritized Jesus Christ. And let me just kind of give you a little bit of digging on this because that level of intensity... Uh, of what you think maybe you should feel for Jesus isn't there. But listen to this principle. Here it's on the screen. That's what it says. You cannot be passionate about something you don't understand. Think about that. You cannot be passionate about something you don't understand. Guys, some of you have ladies in your life, and you guys, you are passionate about football, right? Crazy passionate. And that's awesome. But when you sit down and you watch the television with your wife, she's like, You know, I, I don't know why you go so crazy about this. And I don't understand it. I mean, who gets the ball in the possession? And what's a first down anyway? I don't get it. 
right? And how come it's like three points one time, it's like six points, and then it's the PAT, and I don't even know who Pat is, right? I mean, is Pat a girl or a guy? I don't know, right? I mean, you, you, and they don't understand it. And because they don't understand it, they are not passionate about football. Okay, ladies, let's talk about you, right? You're putting on the lipstick, right? And then you look at your husband and you go, hey, which one looks best, this one or this one? And, and the guy's like, what's the right answer? Because they both look the same, right? And to guys, you're not passionate about lipstick. You're passionate about her lips, but not the stick on her lips, right? And you're like, uh, I don't quite understand it, right? And you're not passionate about it. That's the reason why so many of us are dialed in on sports, because you're passionate about it. You understand it. Some of you, it's your career you're passionate about, because you understand your career. Or it's your family. For others of you, it's your friends. You're so passionate about your friendships. But you're only passionate about the things that you understand. And that really is true. Because you cannot be passionate about things you don't understand. Now, here's the reason why many of you as Christians, you're not passionate about Jesus. And the reason why is because you don't understand and really know Jesus. So the question is, how do I get to understand and know Jesus better? I'm so glad you asked. Let me suggest something to you, and it's not going to be this. I'm not going to make this suggestion, you should go to church more. Because some of you, you've been to church all your life, and it's like, when's the crack opening, right? And and I'm not even going to say pray more. Because so many of us, we pray, and it's like, we just feel like we're kind of talking to the ceiling. But the one thing, I really think if you dial in on this, and you're not, if you do it just one day, you're not going to see a result. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's like pumping iron one day and go, right, I'm not seeing anything, right? Because you got to do something over time. And here's the thing. You're going to see maybe a difference if you do it consistently for every day for a week. And you're going to, if you do, if a week turns into a month and then a month turns into a year and a year turns into a few years and a, a decade and a season, I promise you, promise you, you're going to look back on your life and you will have known Jesus better. And here it is. Some of you are like, read your Bible every day. (laughs) Really? Man, give me something deep. Exegete the Greek. Scupola. Right? No, no. Read the Bible every day. Because here's the thing. And I'm not saying read a chapter. It may just be a few verses. But here's what you're going to start to do if you do reading the Bible every day over time. Because, and again, you're going to realize that God is not as mysterious as you thought he was. Now, God's mysterious, and we can't know him fully. But I believe God gave us his word, the scriptures, so that we can know him. And if we spend time with him daily, you're going to understand God better. And you're going to become more passionate about him. Now, here's the thing. You don't have any excuse. I don't either. You know, back years, years, years ago, back in 1200 AD, no one could, you, you didn't have a copy of the Bible. Gutenberg Press didn't happen, and you could only read it in Latin. Isn't that just convenient, right? So, but now... We have Bibles everywhere. In fact, we give away Bibles away free here at One Church. And I would encourage you, find a Bible and start digging into it. And, and make sure it's a translation that you can understand. And, you know, don't uh, just settle on the Bible that the funeral home gave you, right? These thou's and the guns, and I, I don't understand that. Get a Bible that you can understand and start to do. And Now, here's the thing. Again, I try to do this. I've, I've kind of worked this into my adult life, doing this in the mornings. And one of the things that I do is I turn on my Bible. I can't tell you the last time I opened a copy of the Bible. Some of you are like, you're going to hell. Well, I'm not, right? Because I get on, I get on my Bible app and I can read it, right? And what's so cool is it has tons of different translations. So if you don't like one translation, try another one. And if you can't understand that one, then try another one. And what's so cool is you get on there and it will email you when to do it. Some of you are like, "Uh, 
I don't read. Well, number one, I think that's an excuse. Remember a couple weeks ago? You can make excuses. You can make progress. Don't make me get preaching to you. Seems like I don't read. Okay. Well, um, here's one thing that you, cr- you could do, and I know this is a little nuts, um, but you can actually, it'll read it to you, and it's getting a little bit different here. Chapter 15, Jesus, the true vine. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. Really? You see, you can drive into work, plug it in, and you're listening to God's word. See, what excuse are you going to use? Because that really is the way that you can get to know God, is by getting into his word. Now, let me just give you a couple of things. Some of you maybe don't, you don't know where to start. I would, if, if you're kind of very, kind of brand new to reading the Bible, I would pick a devotional plan. A really good one is um, Rick Warren's uh, devotional plan. Rick Warren, is, he's a pastor in California. And what he does is he'll take some verses. You can read the verses, and then you, can kind of, you read what he has to say about the verses. And he kind of explains it, kind of like what I do with you guys on Sunday morning. That's a plan. If you're, you're beyond that, let's say, okay, I'm not, you know, I, this is not my first rodeo, okay? Then I would encourage you to maybe choose a plan like the one-year Bible. My boy, Walt, he's 16 years old. He, this morning, read day 50 of the one-year Bible, and he's reading it in chronological order. That means he's reading it kind of as it happened, right? We're in the hot tub last night. I don't know, these are like top things you didn't know, want to know about your pastor. Um, I don't own a hot tub, by the way. Some of you are like, you're rich. No, I'm not. I, I go to people's house. And uh, when they're at, at late at night, I just kind of ease in and I just marinate for hours. It's amazing. No. I went to my parents' house and, and we're sitting there and he's reading in Leviticus. He's going, Dad, there's just really weird stuff in there. It's talking about like emissions and like nasty things. And I'm like, you're yeah, right. Uh, and, and we're kind of processing through this. And, you know, what do you do with your excrement and all of this? And I was explaining to Walt, okay, listen, here's the reason why that was important to the Jews. And, uh, and, and we're, we're just in this dialogue because he has questions. And there's going to be some parts of the Bible you're like, eh, it wasn't the best today. Keep, press on. Well, that's what we read in Philippians, press on. But that's a, that's a great way you can do it. Get the one year and go through it in a year. In fact, some of y'all, let me just see. Raise your hands if you've ever read through the entire Bible. Let me see your hands. Okay, there's a couple of y'all. Very good. Imagine, everybody raise their hands. Imagine if next year, keep them up, if all of you could say, and I ask that question, how many of y'all read through the Bible and look at everybody's hands? Wow. What an accomplishment that would be, right? Because some of you, you got people saying the Bible's just full of holes. And, it, and, and, you know, it contradicts one of the things. And you're repeating what somebody on the Internet said. Read it for yourself. And then ask me questions, unless dialogue. But don't just regurgitate what some idiot on the Internet said, right? Read it for yourself. And then if you have questions, let's talk about them. Totally get that. All right? Now, if you're even farther than that, I would encourage you getting a study Bible. And a great study Bible, I meant to bring it today, but it's the Life Application Study Bible. And you can get it at Lifeway or a lot of these different stores. You can get it off of Amazon much cheaper. But it gives you all the notes. So when you have a question about Scripture, um, uh, you can do it. My son, we were in the hot tub last night, and he's in Leviticus 16. And it's about the scapegoat and all of this. And he's like, Dad, I don't understand. And, you know, we were kind of processing through this. And he's like, you're so smart. And what he didn't see me is me Googling stuff going, right? Because I don't know everything. I'm still learning through this, right? And, and if you have children, look at this. Keep on going if you would. Uh, we're going to fly through some of these. But at the very end, here, here's the Bible app for children. So you can download this for your kids on their iPad or their whatever they, you know, and they can actually interact with God's Word. But here's what I'm challenging you to do. If you want to get closer to God this year, if you want to say, you know what, if knowing Jesus is the one thing that brings meaning to everything, how you're going to know him isn't, by watching, listening to Christian radio. It isn't by watching a pastor on a television. It isn't even showing up here and listening to me. How you're going to get to know God more is you getting into God's word for yourself. It's that simple. And it's simple, but let me tell you, it's hard. Because as I was telling my son, you know, as much as I, man, I, I value God's word, sometimes I struggle reading it. 
Sometimes I'm not as consistent as I want to be. But I'll tell you, if I want to fill that God-shaped hole in my life, I've got to read and understand, know God better, and do what he tells me to do. That's the key. Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful, Lord, for where we've been in this series and that we've, we've talked about a lot of different things that we struggle with. Time management, we've talked about goals, we've talked about so many different things, God. And Lord, all of those things are good, but the one thing that brings meaning and purpose in our life, the one person, is you, Jesus Christ. And I pray that us as a church, that we would know you better. That we would come to know you by reading more about you, God. And doing what you tell us to do. And Lord, I know that there's people here who maybe are here for the very first time. There's some people here that have bounced out of church years ago. Or maybe they've never been to church. And Lord, the thing that you want for their life is to have a relationship with Jesus. So, our Heavenly Father, God, I pray that today that could happen. Lord, that today they would realize that they can't do it on their own and that their, their stuff in their life, their sin, has separated you from them. But Lord, all it takes is not them doing a bunch of stuff, but Lord, trusting what Jesus has already done for them. And Lord, I pray that they today, this morning, they would begin that relationship with you that comes through faith in Jesus. Lord, we love you. And I pray, God, that we live today, that we go tomorrow, that Tuesday we wake up and we open up God's word, even if it's just for a few verses, and we would learn more about you because knowing you, God, brings meaning to my life into everything into my life. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen.